Hello and welcome to this episode of the CMS Fintech Bytes podcast series. My name is Reeve Boyd and I'm a lawyer in the Financial Services Disputes team here at CMS and a member of the CMS Fintech Practice Group. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Rebecca Bysak, who is a senior associate also in the Financial Services Disputes team here at CMS. Rebecca, hi, how are you? Hi, Reeve. I'm great, thank you. Excited to be here. Oh, we're excited to have you. Right, so in today's podcast, we'll be exploring a topic that is seemingly taking the world by storm at the moment, and that is generative AI. I'm sure that all of our listeners will have seen the headlines about OpenAI's ChatGPT, Google's BAD, and other generative AI tools that are increasingly coming, becoming part of our everyday lives and discussions. Rebecca, I'm sure we can speculate on the potential implications of this technology, well, across almost every aspect of our lives. But in the interest of time, in this podcast, we'll specifically focus on, one, the current and likely future impacts of generative AI on fintech, and before discussing how these tools are likely to affect us as lawyers, particularly in the context of litigation. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Great. Well, I think a good starting point would be to discuss exactly what generative AI systems, such as ChatGPT and Google's BARD, are. Rebecca, could you provide me a brief explanation to our listeners? Yeah, of course. So, generative artificial intelligence, generative AI, are AI models that are designed to understand complex requests and generate human-like output. So generative AI uses a combination of machine learning and natural language processing to build large language models, so LLMs, which is a machine learning algorithm trained on massive data sets to recognize, summarize, and translate user inputs so that they can generate text or images that humans can interpret and understand. ChatGPT, now in its fourth version, is only one of many generative AI tools out in the market with others including Dolly 2, which is an image generator also developed by OpenAI, and MuseNet, uh, a generative model that can create new music in a variety of genres and styles. We've also got Bard, Google's generative AI tool, ChatSonic, and Ernie. And it's important to remember that this is likely just the start. I've seen ChatGPT described as the MySpace of AI. I think that's a good analogy. It's extremely exciting and groundbreaking, but it's far from the end destination. Well, I think that's fascinating. Just thinking from the top of my head, you can already start to build a picture of what these models are likely to be good and bad at. As a lawyer, the thing that screams out to me is the ability of these models to review enormous amounts of data in a short space of time and provide content and responses based on that data. The versatility and speed of these models, like ChatGPT, are likely to become invaluable at assisting the productivity of many companies. Rebecca, is that fair to say? And do you have any other thoughts? I think they're all really good points. I know this is something we'll likely come on to later, but another area I'm really excited about. I feel as though this should come with a spoiler alert then. <laughs> yeah, definitely should. As someone who specialises in fraud, I'm really looking forward to seeing how companies and in particular financial institutions adopt these systems and other machine learning AI tools to detect and prevent fraud. For example, Generative AI could be used to identify outliers in data by better comparing generated patterns to real data, which will assist in detecting fraud, network intrusions, or any other abnormal activities. It could also take that data and begin a conversation with the bank and the customer, which could build trust between the customer and the bank's security systems. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. I think it's also important to point out that this is likely to be the tip of the iceberg, right, and how generative AI will be able to assist in the future. 
To use that social media comparison again, I think it's fair to say that few, if any, predicted the type of impact that sites like Facebook and Twitter would have when they were first launched. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And it's also important to bear in mind that there are also at least currently some downsides to these models. For example, while generative AI engines are amazing at what they can do, they do not think or reason nor have any concept of right and wrong. They simply provide the statistically most relevant words given the input prompt, which could lead to incorrect responses. There is also a chance that these models, particularly in their current iterations, can confidently state completely fictional responses, which is commonly referred to as them hallucinating. There are also issues with the training data that these models use being either outdated or biased or both. For example, ChatGPT was only largely trained on publicly available text up to September 2021, and therefore its knowledge is limited to the information available up to that point. Right, so it sounds like there's some reasons to be cautious then, particularly for the time being. Yeah, but while some questions need to be considered to ensure these limitations are carefully managed, and our colleagues, of course, at CMS, are on hand to assist with these issues, it's quite clear that these models are here to stay. It's probably also safe to say that companies who don't adopt and use this technology efficiently will likely be left behind by those that do. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's a really good segue, actually, for us to discuss how fintechs can use generative AI as well. For my money, fintechs are perfectly placed to implement these models effectively to improve their offerings. Again, I think in the near future, we're likely to see fintech adopting these models to automate and assist with querying data, processing documents, drafting memos and analysing intricate scenarios. I wouldn't at all be surprised to also see tailored advertisements and messages for specific audiences being quickly generated through trained models to boost sales, as well as companies leveraging AI to improve workflows and assist with customer service. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure many fintechs, including clients of ours, will be busy implementing these right now. Long term, I think that fintech companies that can successfully embed AI as an offering within their products are likely to obtain a competitive advantage, especially those that can fine tune their models with unique and valuable data sets for specific use cases. Right, yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Well, I'm thinking of a fintech using AI industry-wide data to create a financial investment plan, for example, for consumers based on their spending data, goals Mm. and risk tolerance, or AI helping companies to produce real-time budgeting estimates. Exactly, yeah. Well, not to flip the script, as I know you're the host, but given your interest in all things Web3, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on the application of these AI models in this space? Ooh, that's a really good question. Well, to me, the most obvious example is surely with smart contract drafting, right? The programming languages for these contracts are often sophisticated, but with ChatGPT being able to write code in any language, this would likely make it far easier for people to draft these contracts accurately. The models would also be fantastic at detecting errors, vulnerabilities and inefficiencies in smart contracts by analysing the code and providing suggestions for improvement. In the future, it would also be interesting to see if we get some of these models integrated on the decentralised systems. This could be really useful for auditing the training data used for these systems to, for example, expose harmful content or the inherent bias within those data. One potential concern, though, is that these systems could also be used as a tool by hackers and fraudsters to assist them in discovering code vulnerabilities or to defraud unsuspecting victims. But I'm guessing this isn't a potential issue faced only in the Web3 space, though, Rebecca. 
No, definitely not. While I mentioned earlier that these models will be vital in arming fintechs and financial institutions with the tools needed to combat fraud, it's also clear that they will inevitably become the latest weapon for fraudsters, definitely. Right. So what do you expect to see in this space? Well, I've worked on many cases involving fraud and a common thread with a lot of these is that they involve forms of social engineering. A good example of a traditional fraud technique involving financial institutions is authorised push payment fraud, which in a nutshell involves a fraudster tricking a person into authorising a payment to them from their bank. The fraudster will often pretend to be someone that the victim trusts, like a friend or a bank. But what's so interesting about these cases is that they're usually not as sophisticated as you may think. In the past, we have seen fraudsters literally trawl through a phone book using a script to con their potential victims with, with very limited knowledge of the, the organization's internal workings. It's therefore clear how AI could aid with making so many more attempts on such a bigger scale. In theory and in, and in the future, the AI would also likely be able to utilize the information publicly available on the internet to produce bespoke targeted messages to the most likely victims. For example, we have seen examples of fraudsters using things like LinkedIn and companies' web pages in order to identify who at that organization they should target, like someone in their accounts team, so someone who's effectively got keys to the safe. As a litigator, I'm also conscious that a number of privacy issues may arise for victims of fraud conducted with the aid of generative AI. For example, if a fraudster uses, say, ChatGPT or a similar tool to create a targeted message to a potential victim, would we be able to get an order for those prompts to be disclosed? I understand, although don't take me as authority on this point, that ChatGPT currently retains chat history for up to 30 days to monitor for abuse before permanently deleting the information, although I believe that a user can enable the retention of their chat history by manually selecting this in the settings. I'm guessing a fraudster would not be in favour of enabling their chat history to be saved, though. And therefore, it's clear that by the time a victim attempts to get this information, they may run into some large obstacles. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Well, I'm guessing the same implications will also be seen with other types of frauds then, right? Of course, like you said, we're at the tip of the iceberg and there are likely to be ways that fraudsters use this technology that we aren't even going to touch on. But other forms of fraud that may be amplified by these models could be, for example, pig butchering scams. <laughs> this is an ugly term, but it's used to describe fraud committed where the fraudster creates a fake profile to initiate contact with the potential victim through text, social media and dating apps. The analogy is therefore of the victim being fanned up by the gaining of the victim's trust before convincing the victim to invest in fake stocks or fake investment apps, which is where the butchering term comes from. Romance scams and business email compromise vishing attacks are also likely to seem more authentic and more difficult to detect as a result of generative AI. And then there's the possibility of these models helping to create authentic deep fakes, for example, images, audio and video messages that seem like they're from a trusted person, such as a director or CEO, may be used to assist the types of fraud discussed above. Wow. And I guess that is therefore more important than ever to have adequate fraud prevention in place then, right? Yeah, exactly. There's always been a race between fraudsters and financial service institutions looking to prevent fraud, to use emerging technologies to gain the upper hand, and it'd be no different with the explosion of generative AI. 
As I mentioned, one of the key benefits of these tools is that they will be able to train existing machine learning models through the use of synthetic data to identify patterns and anomalies that may indicate fraudulent activity, right? Banks have, of course, already deployed AI to combat fraud, but the use of data created by generative AI to train algorithms will hopefully lead to a large reduction in false positives and negatives that occur to improve accuracy and speed. And I think on that note, we can move to part two of the podcast and discuss how generative AI is likely to impact law, and in particular for us, litigation. Thinking about it, I guess the natural segue would have been to talk about the options available to a victim of fraud or a financial institution that has been accused of having insufficient systems in place to prevent fraud, wouldn't it? Yeah, perhaps you can work on your segues for next time, Reed. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put money on it. But yeah, litigation is clearly an area we're both interested in. And like every aspect of law and life, it would seem generative AI tools are going to play a huge role in shaping the future of it. I know here at CMS, for example, we're all being encouraged to educate ourselves and experiment with these tools in a safe way, of course. I also know the firm is keeping a close eye on the market and experimenting with emerging technologies to assist us as lawyers. But I'd be interested to know how you see this all playing out. Well, there are so many ways in which this could help us as litigators. There really is. The first thing that comes to my mind is in assisting us with the e-discovery and disclosure exercises. Disclosure can be such an intensive process, right? I mean, gone are the days when trial bundles contained only 100 documents. The amount of documents now probably exceed 10 or even 100 times that. We, we have already begun to see technology play a huge role in assisting lawyers. For example, our current AI systems here at CMS already adopt continuous active learning to continuously review documents more precisely. We've even had a technology and construction court judge approve our proposal based on this AI system and when objected to by the other side, which shows that this tech is here to stay. The use of generative AI to make this process even more precise and efficient for e-disclosure will therefore, and provided it is used correctly, likely save legal professionals vast amounts of time in the future, which would also save on costs as well. AI tools would even theoretically be able to pick up on the sentiment in email communications, which would be helpful in making them more precise. That's a really good point. It's something that I definitely welcome. Do you think that they could also be used to help with other simple tasks? Definitely. If, if you just think of the litigators day to day, what do you think of? I think mine is often filled with drafting letters of advice to clients or emails to third parties or drafting um. statements of case. I may also spend an hour researching a particular point of law or case to assist my client's point or negate a point presented by the other side. Yeah. Provided the AI tools are used correctly, there is no reason why these couldn't be used to at least assist with these tasks. For example, imagine ChatGPT with the power to analyse every case in a particular area on legal research databases such as Westlaw or LexisNexis, and based on that information, produce a written research note summarising the strengths and weaknesses of your client's case. In fact, as recently as last week, LexisNexis announced Lexis Plus, which will look to do exactly that using the resources contained within its databases. For the time being, we clearly wouldn't want to rely on this information completely, but we could use it as a useful starting point to speed up tasks and be more directed on where we look. That really is exciting. Obviously, I'm assuming all of the caveats we've discussed about the need to be prudent with that information and other things would still apply though, right? Yeah, of course. As lawyers, our value is with our words, right? And our ability to analyse and present information effectively. 
We therefore need to ensure that the information these tools are stating is accurate, are exactly that, and that there are no inherent biases in answers before using them. Luckily, the firm here at CMS are taking this seriously and have developed explainers designed to assist us with the correct implementation of these tools. Right. So I'm guessing the key takeaway is that these tools have the power to help lawyers and law firms enormously, obviously, but provided that we're there to interpret the data produced. I guess that sort of answers my last question, but it is the million dollar one. So I need to ask it. Do you see a world in which these tools replace us as lawyers? <laughs> You're right. I think rather than replace lawyers, these tools will complement them to become more efficient, productive and cost effective. Even as these systems evolve, I think lawyers will always be needed to review the information produced. Also, these systems are predicated on predicting and producing the statistically most likely option. Lawyers, especially here at CMS, often need to think outside of the box to produce novel and exceptional arguments. Ultimately, a lawyer who is able to utilise the power of these tools effectively will be far more valuable than those that are not. And I actually think that's a very good takeaway to end with. Lawyers who utilise generative AI effectively will not be replaced, but those that do not are likely to be more at risk. As you say, we at CMS are looking to exploit these cutting edge tools to ensure our lawyers continue to be considered as future facing as possible. Absolutely. Well, this has certainly been a very interesting and informative conversation. Thank you, Rebecca. No, thank you for having me. It's been really fun. No problem at all. And with that, I think that's time to wrap up. Thanks everybody for listening. We hope you enjoyed our discussion. If you want any further details around this topic or any of the points we've discussed specifically in this podcast, then you can reach out to me or Rebecca and our details are linked below in the description of the podcast. We also frequently publish thought leadership on this area. Alternatively, you can visit our FinTech webpage and Twitter page, which is linked below. If you'd love to hear more about what AI tools we here at CMS use right now and what we're doing to explore generative AI and approach to the risk challenges we've touched on today, we'd be happy to arrange a call with our expert legal tech team. Thanks all for listening and take care.